appreciate it. Rupak Mehta, uh, thank you so much for joining us, man. Um, I can start off a quick little background on my end, and then, of course, uh, get into the more exciting stuff on your end. Sure, absolutely. Cool. So Rohit Morani, I'm one of the co-founders here at Office Hours. We've been helping out individuals really break into a lot of buy side. Uh, we do a good amount of banking as well. Um, buy side's been more of the focus just because, frankly, really busy with this like January rush coming up. Um, but think about it on the coaching side of things. So we do platform access as well as, of course, one-on-one -on -one coaching that I would compare similar to kind of like working with the D1 athlete. Behaviorals, technicals, modeling, deal walkthroughs, case studies. We help out with the entirety of it. We've helped out over a thousand individuals over the last couple of years, 95% uh, placement into multiple funds. Um, and it's not necessarily kind of like our platform, but it's really the coaches. Uh, the coaches is kind of like the real, real angle here. Same way if you work with like a gym trainer or a tennis instructor, um, which I think honestly, like helps out quite a bit when you connect with Rupak, really getting an understanding of like the student athlete side. I'm really excited to like kind of dive into that. Um, but we'll love, of course, man, you tell us more about yourself as a quick background. Yeah, sure. So, you know, kind of 10 seconds on me. I, uh, as, as, as you guys all probably saw, um, on the invite. So I, I went to Bentley university, graduated in 2017. Uh, Bentley is a small business school up, uh, in the Boston area. So, you know, very much a focused uh, school. Everyone kind of has that same mindset of trying to do something in the business world, right? That's obviously a very broad uh, space. So for me, uh, very interested in finance, economics, all those topics, um, even from you know, high school onward. So wanted to get exposure there. Um, after school, I started out in uh, UBI's graduate program, which is not a kind of banking specific program. We could dive into all that stuff. Um, got exposed to the ESG topic. Um, and then from there, Found this this role at Evercore, um, helping to build out and establish kind of the ESG and shareholder advisory uh, practice that we we now have here uh, for the last few years. So it's been super exciting. Uh, it's been a lot of work, but um, yeah, you know, happy to happy to give more color on on any of that. For sure. No, awesome. Sorry for uh, some of the background distractions there. Um, I think that's awesome. Can you tell us a little bit more on your end? If we take it a step back, you went to Bentley. I went to Northeastern. Was this something that you had forecasted when it came to your plan forward around what you wanted to get into when you first started in school? And honestly, Bentley is very heavily focused on the business side of things too, right? Yep. Yep. So it, it's a great question because I think about this uh, pretty often, right? So when I went to school, I knew I wanted to do this whole economics, finance, and kind of get the, the macro level um, understanding of how the world works and kind of the company specific financial level of how things work. So that I knew. Uh, what I didn't know was what I wanted to do after school, right? So when it came time to kind of look at internships, sophomore year, junior year, uh, that's when I kind of realized like, oh, like, what do I actually want to do with this, right? So business is such a generic term. Um, it's like saying you're going to get groceries, right? Like, what does that actually mean? Uh, what, are you, what are you actually going to get? So uh, I started kind of talking to professors, talking to kind of uh, guys on my team, I, as you alluded to, I, I ran a cross country and track and field in, in school. Uh, a couple of my older teammates were kind of doing, you know, investing side of, uh, you know, banking uh, at JP Morgan and, and some other firms up there in the Boston area. So started talking to them, um, just educating myself on on this stuff. Um, and then also started reading, you know, online of, of the whole banking space and, and things like that. So uh, to be honest, it's it's funny that I ended up at somewhere like Evercore doing kind of like a banking job because I, I, I was super turned off by the, the hours and the intensity and everything that you read about online. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, so I, you know, I kind of had to figure it out just by talking to folks, uh, talking, talking to people in the industry, uh, doing my own networking, things of that nature. Um, and, you know, to directly answer your question, like, you know, the answer is no, right. Like I didn't, I didn't really know I wanted to go into this, but I wanted to, to do something that it, can actually put the the degree to use um, and you know the investing side of things at UBS made sense and then now you know on on the advisory side of things um, I'm still leveraging a lot of that stuff so. awesome awesome and you were part of uh, I think it was uh, one of my uh, younger cousins actually um, Yash Punjabi you were part of like the same like business fraternity with him funny enough yeah yeah uh, yeah big time yeah yeah that's awesome how was uh, the angle when it comes to basically just organizations like that, right? Like, would you recommend like others kind of like pursue similar organizations into that help overall when it comes to kind of like, not only the camaraderie, but learning more about the industry and having mentors? Yeah, so I think I think the answer is yes. 
right? But I think the caveat there is, and I'm sure you you see this when you kind of review resumes of some of the younger guys and girls out there. I, th- I think there's this mindset of like, you know, doing as many things as possible in school to show, you know, your diversity of experiences and things like that. So I think it comes from a, a good spot. But mm-hmm. when you do that, you know, and someone starts pressing you kind of in an interview, I'm not sure, yeah, at least for me, you know, maybe I can't speak for everyone, but I think generally it's hard to dive really far into what you contributed in each of these organizations if you're doing, you know, call it 10 different things. So my my sense is I think it's it's good to, to join these things, um, you know, business frats or if you're on a team or some sort of a club, but, you know, picking one or two things and kind of going all in on that um, is going to be super beneficial relative to just kind of joining like 10 different things and, you know, attending a meeting once a month and then just saying you were part of like an investing club or something like that. Um, yeah. But yeah, found a lot of mentors, definitely. Nice, nice. Yeah, so more depth rather than kind of like breadth, right? Like really totally. Involved. Totally. Nice, nice. That's awesome. Um, and as we kind of like discuss, of course, uh, Bentley as a whole, and this is kind of like probably going to be a little bit more like crux of the conversation, um, student athlete side of the house, right? Cross country, track and field, getting an understanding of like, the rigor, the discipline, what did that look like? How did that parlay into, of course, being able to do work at the same time, school at the same time, recruiting at the same time? Um, I'm, sh- I'm sure you were pretty busy. Yeah, so su- it's super busy. And, and I think that a- anyone who um, might be tuning in right now that's an athlete can kind of um, attest to this. So your, your schedule is super kind of rigid, right? So you have, you got to go to practice every day. There's some constants and there's some things that have some flex, right? So you got to go to practice every day. You want to be an overachiever, you can go lift or do something like that to cross train. Um, You got to go to your races. You got to like, you know, kind of commit hard to this this stuff, especially at the collegiate level. So for me, uh, that was something I always kind of wanted to do. I had the opportunity to do it at Bentley um, while studying kind of business and not, you know, it just had like a state school or something like that. Not that I have anything against state schools, but for me personally, when I was looking at, uh, you know, what I wanted out of my college experience, I wanted intimate classrooms. I wanted a very focused curriculum um, and mm-hmm. I wanted to run. So I got all of those things. Uh, so that's the pro. The con is, uh, you know, I got hurt a whole bunch in college. So yeah. I think there's, there's sure. some stories we can kind of lessons learned from that sense uh, that we could take away from this whole thing, but uh, focusing just on the kind of, uh, schedule part of it and, you know, managing different priorities. I think it was super helpful, you know, right now in the quote unquote real world, um, helping me out kind of manage my own schedule. So in this banking job, right at Evercore, as everyone knows, it's a super intense industry. You're pretty much always working. Uh, people are expecting and leaning on you to, to kind of manage things left and right, up and down, um, especially at the analyst role. So your schedule is not necessarily your own. So I think that's something that's kind of a shock factor for a lot of folks that kind of enter this, this space, um, you know, straight away out of school. The benefit of the student outlet thing is I think I got kind of the experience and exposure of those competing pressures for so many different years um, mm-hmm. that it's kind of just been ingrained in my mindset of, okay, there are certain things every day that I have to do um, yeah. professionally and personally. And what is it going to take to get those done? It's not even a question of if it's just like kind of at this point ingrained in my mentality. So I think that's the biggest thing that I took away from from uh, kind of running in school and, and even being hurt um, every now and again. That actually kind of reinforces like what is important. Um, going through the, the trials and tribulations of that, I think, kind of helps with uh, the mental fortitude side of things. So. Yep. Yeah. I think that parlays quite a bit, right? Because in school, it's generally like, well, I feel like I'll connect with quite a few people that have had trouble adapting to the freedom that you get in college as a whole, right? And kind of like freshman year, it takes time to like really get an understanding of acclimating to this overall schedule, um, just open-endedness, right? Where it's yep. okay, listen, class, but then homework, self-study. If you have that structured element, I think that helps out quite a bit, especially on the student athlete side, because because then the other side of it is like, hey, listen, like you may be pretty structured in under, uh, excuse me, in high school, then less structured in college. But then if you go into banking, then it's pretty structured too. You literally show up yep. to a building, stay in the building. That's like high school again versus college. Just like, okay, like campus, maybe you might be in the city. Waltham's pretty big. A lot of people go to the city on the weekends. Um, so it's interesting how it kind of goes back and forth. However, I would argue going into this building and consistently kind of like working out of there and being in this like trained environment from a banking perspective or finance perspective, anything of the sort, I think helps out quite a bit, especially when it comes to really just developing that discipline. Um, yep. beginning. And like that, I think that's what carries us today, right? Like I'm literally, I put up a video earlier, like 
in Miami, weather's beautiful. You'll have kids be, like jet skiing at 2 p.m. on a Wednesday. And the reality is it's our business. I, we don't need to be working on this. Yep. Like, technically, I can just do whatever. I don't have a VP breathing down my throat like I used to. But the ideal, um, or I guess like the whole situation is like, hey, listen, like, do you want to get stuff done, right? Do you want to get shit done? And this is how some of our Absolutely. boys are in Puerto Rico too, right? Otherwise, like- No doubt about it. And I think like, by the way, tying it to directly what you guys are focused on, right? Like going banking to PE. I think, you know, generally in the real world, you know, no one's holding your hand in the sense of like, you know, babysitting your deliverables and stuff. It's more of just, these are expectations. You need to like, just do them. So in mm -hmm. banking, there's like this whole structure of analyst program and, you know, trainings and mentors and things like that, which is all amazing. Um, and probably why PE shops want to kind of recruit from these places, right? But in the private equity world, I think one quote that a friend of mine kind of said that has always kind of resonated with me is, the reason these interviews are so difficult and there's so much going on is, you know, the associate or analyst or whatever level you come in at a PE shop, they're just going to expect that you could produce the work product of multiple banking analysts, right? So the expectations are even higher, the stakes are even higher. And the environment, depending on what shop you go to, right, let's put the mega funds aside, smaller shops um, is super unstructured, right? So you have to have that discipline, that rigor. Yeah, yeah. I remember even at Battery in the beginning days, they were like, hey, listen, like, um, you go to conferences, set up the meetings, represent us. And the reality is, is that I feel like half the time when it comes to the interview process, the reason that it takes so long is that like, it's really just basically like they're getting an assessment, like how is this individual in all different aspects, right? In all different lights of the word um, and situation. So, I mean, I've definitely heard of some mega funds that will of course do like the behaviorals in the beginning, more EQ, take you out to drinks, get yep. an understanding of the conversation after a couple drinks to get an understanding of how you are as an individual and then hit you with the modeling test like a couple of days later. If they no hit doubt. you with the modeling test right after drinks, that'd be another element. Um, but <laughs> that'd be wild. <laughs> it's a couple of days later. Um, but what's interesting is that they really want to get an understanding of like who you are. And like these days more than anything, that whole like no asshole rule, uh, excuse my language, but like from before back in the day, um, I think that's more pertinent and more valuable today more than ever. Big time, big time. Couldn't agree more. How is everything? Um, so it's a little bit more like structured um, program on the so it's graduate uh, talent program, right? At UBS? Yeah. So yeah. So kind of connecting it back to, to what I was saying before, right? So when I left school, um, I got into this, this graduate program, which by the way, I think any bank uh, kind of structured analyst graduate program is super helpful, right? Because the first two years, you can attest to this. Um, I'm sure people listening in can attest to this. First two years of, of work, you're just learning how to be like a real person, right? You're learning how to like yeah. be held accountable, make your own schedule, that stuff that we just talked about. So I think these analyst programs, regardless of the bank, um, really help you do that. Um, you know, they, they kind of sit down and ask you about, you know, where do you want to take your career? What do you want to do? Um, and then if it's a rotational program like mine, um, these the answers to those questions kind of inform your, your rotations, right? So for me, you know, UBS, I, uh, you know, we can get into the ESG stuff uh, later, but Long story short, um, I was introduced to the whole ESG concept when I was at UBS. They were and still are um, a huge thought leader and just kind of leader from an asset management perspective on sustainable investing. So saw that whole opportunity there, wanted to really get involved there, aligned with my professional, personal kind of values. Um, and I used the analyst program to kind of launch uh, myself into that space, right? So when I was articulating where I wanted to go with my career, uh, one of the things that I brought up was this whole idea of ESG. Um, so one of my, my placements, my last placement actually was to work directly for the global head of impact investing, um, over there. That's so awesome. we were doing all sorts of stuff, research, um, thought leadership, capital raises, uh, things of that nature. So helped me build my resume. It helped me kind of get, uh, you know, my, my feet wet into the space. Um, and honestly, it, it very much helped me get, uh, my next job. So, uh, happy to dive into all that stuff, but you know, it, I think these graduate programs are, are super helpful in that sense. Mm -hmm. That's phenomenal. I remember um, I was at GE Aviation fresh out of, or that was my, one of my internships. And they technically have this like financial management engineering program um, on the back end, FME, and then they do a couple different things on the rotational side of things. Now, long story short, idea is more than anything, like really get an understanding of like different business lines, considering the larger entity is so massive. Why yep. not get an understanding of like how different business functions um, work within, and then you get to choose kind of what's interesting to you. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. 
when you think about it, um, when it came to your transition over to an elite boutique today, what did that look like? If you don't mind me asking. And then like, how would sure. you recommend individuals? Like, would you have done the rotational program again? Would you have gone directly into it? Is that how you kind of learned about it thereafter? So then it ended up being like pretty darn helpful. Yeah. It's like, it's, it's interesting. You can answer that question a couple of ways. Right. So I think, um, my whole kind of journey, um, a lot of my ESG experience really helped, uh, inform, you know, my, my next job. Um, but, you know, looking back into my college days before I even had that experience, I think it would have been probably worthwhile if I knew I was going down this path to just get kind of that two years in banking um, done earlier, right? So I think when I joined, I was 24 going on 25. So at that point, you know, I'm joining, I'm kind of just accepting that I'm restarting um, as an analyst, a first year analyst in a, in a group. Um, and kids my age were kind of already making that associate promotion, right? So I, I kind of put myself back in a little bit uh, of a sense. Now, why did I do that? It was because the the team that I joined was was brand new, right? So I was growing a, an entire practice um, at the firm. At the time, it was one MD and, and one associate that was um, about to become a BP. So for me, it was like joining the ground floor. They wanted to expand their mandate. They wanted to kind of establish their presence and, and kind of grow their client base, all that stuff. Um, and I was the first junior uh, guy to join. So that was super interesting to me. Um, the process, right, to answer your question directly, the process was relatively intense, right? I think, um, I don't think it's a secret that some of these, you know, independents or boutiques um, really put you through it in terms of the interview process, right? Um, they ask a lot of questions. They ask a lot of questions about you. Um, let's put aside the, the like, financial and, you know, all that um, technical interview stuff, but there's a lot of rounds. There's a lot of focus on culture, uh, which I think, you know, and rightfully so. I think a lot of kids looking at these uh, job descriptions are like, ah, it's, you know, it's BS or like whatever. But, you know, given that there's only 2,000 employees globally at Evercore, or, you know, even if you want to take another example, that's not Evercore, somewhere like Centerview, where there's, I think, less than 1,000 people globally. globally. Yeah. Uh, culture is everything, right? Like, if you have yeah. one, call it bad egg, um, it very much stands out. Uh, so they really want to make sure uh, that you're the right culture fit, that you kind of align with what their, what their kind of, you know, quote unquote, their vibe is. Um, and, you know, there were a lot of interviews in that sense. So you're getting interviews with analysts, associates, VPs, MDs, and even, you know, my final interview was with the, the head of the group, right? So he even wow. wanted to like take time to assess, um, you know, who I was, what I was interested in, like what I could bring to the table, right? So, um, yeah, that was, that was kind of the process. Um, happy to dive into the role as well, but, you know, the, it, the process at these uh, boutique banks, I think, are, are very much oriented on the individual rather than, you know, can you just spit out Excel sheets all day, right? So, yeah, I remember um, there's a bit more senior friend of mine. Um, he was looking at Molus and had gone through a couple different rounds, and they had literally said like, "Hey, listen, man, like, you want us to loop in Ken? We'll loop in Ken for a conversation." Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like, and that's the other thing, right? So, and you know, it's a tangential point, but. Oftentimes on a lot of these deals or, you know, random client work that I'm involved in, we're directly interfacing and, and a part of the deal team is Roger Altman, right? The guy who founded Evercore. So wow. that the stakes are super high in that sense too. So I think when you're thinking about recruiting someone, you want to make sure that they can not only handle themselves amongst their peers or their direct superiors, but like, you know, send things or interface or answer questions to, you know, serious senior partners or people like Roger or even like greater than like a senior partner, right? So um, I think it's super important. Fit is it is incredibly important here. So yeah, I think that's awesome, man. Honestly, uh, we're pretty big fans of the elite boutiques as a whole, and I think a lot of it ends up being like, and there's just that consistent like, okay, like do I go bulge bracket? Do I go elite boutique? What does it look like? I think the biggest biggest thing is is that like whether or not you can like have that like conversation and kind of like just the um, nuance like, hey, listen, like someone might like their life, someone may not. That's all subjective to a certain degree. The one biggest thing is that we find that like most of our individuals that we connect with and most people that we chat with at Elite Boutiques generally do not falter on the fact of respect. Yep. Respect within the org, people respect them, whether it be for a, okay, like maybe recruiting, maybe not recruiting, staying within the org, not. Some people at some institutions are just like not mentioning any specifics, but they're like, yeah, like so-and-so found out I was recruiting. They're like absolutely livid. I might get fired. Whereas in other institutions, it's just like, listen, like 
they were fine with it, right? Because it's like, if you want to stay with us, happy, stay with us, good, great. If not, we'll help you. You're like an alum of the org. Big time. Right? Like we want you to go with kind of like a blessed uh, look and an arm um, because you represent us going into the world. And I think that's going to be more and more of how the world functions because this is more and more how kids and individuals think. Less and less, like you can just like throw money at someone and be okay. Um, Big time. Being treated like shit. Because the reality is, is that like now that money is dried up. So then what? Do people still kind of take like their shit treatment, excuse my language again, um, when the money is dried up? Like probably not so much. Work-life balance is the number one thing that we have heard. As no doubt. An aspect since we started the business way back. Um, now, like almost three years ago. Yeah, no, I, so by the way, right? Like for anyone listening, it, it, he's not just saying things, right? So there was a kid on our team that uh, left for, Francisco partners. And, you know, you would think, right, like he's going somewhere, he's still, you know, young guy, junior, whatever. Um, like we, the firm does business with those guys, right? Like I, I, we do business with everyone, every bank does business with everyone. But on, on that kid's specific team and his role, right, he was able to send something our way and like, you know, have a conversation about potential, you know, business related items, like things like that happen all of the time, right? So I think it's super important to not only be deliberate about where you're going to like choose to work, uh, but develop really good relationships there so that when, you know, you do move on to a bigger and better thing, if you will, uh, you know, you can, you can not only like lean on your, your old team, um, but you can kind of collaborate them commercially. Right. So yeah, super important. I think the network is just like the largest aspect of it. Right. If you think about it, individuals will go to business school to build that network. Whereas the reality is like, I've kept in touch with individuals from my internship days back in the day. And some people that are like, hey, listen, like I'm like moving on maybe to like a better building and like I don't care about like burning a bridge type of situation. Like I will look at it as if that like people are looking to keep the relationships going, then you maintain on both ends. Yep. Like I'm sure to a certain degree, you keep in touch with people from UBS. Like it's a small world at the end of the day, right? Like Midtown Manhattan's not that big, all things considered. And people run into others. Absolutely. By the way, this is a very important point because I meant to bring it up when I was talking about you know, my uh, Bentley to UBS, right? So coming from a non-target, right? Like you, you, you can completely relate to this. Like you got to work three or four times as hard, at least um, as some of those target school kids to get to the exact same place, right? So if you think about getting to a bank, um, I, I kind of observed what I just said, right? The fact that you kind of have to work a little bit harder than kind of target school kids. And I, the only thing I could think of is like, look, you got, I got to get my foot in the door somehow. How do you do that? You start contacting alumni and you just kind of grind through it, right? So you got to do the, the the grunt work of hopping on the phone with these people, kind of having your pitch ready of like why why you want to get into a certain role, um, whether it's your like dream job or not. You kind of have to make it sound like it, right? You have to refine yourself and just get yourself to a point where you're polished um, to get into the interview room. So honestly, my biggest advice that I tell Bentley kids or anyone that um, I talk to is make sure you start networking, start networking before there's even an ask on the table, right? Because no one wants like that email from someone that's like, hey, I'm, in, I'm applying to Evercore or like pass my resume along. It's more of like developing kind of like rapport with someone, you know, genuine relationship uh, this way when you have to actually ask for something like that. Um, it's more of an organic, natural conversation and people are going to be super appreciative. So I keep in touch with people that I was networking with like my junior year of, of college at Bentley still that are like, in their mid thirties alumni that are like now, you know, pretty senior at whatever firm that they're at, uh, people from UBS, my old bosses, colleagues, things like that, um, all the time. Um, I think it's just like, that's how the world works. Right. I don't think it's a secret, um, super important. Yeah. It's how the world works, but I don't think a lot of people, um, necessarily kind of like acknowledge that or think about that, which is kind of sad. Um, some people will be yeah. like, Oh, I'm into like lateraling or buy side. When should I start thinking about networking and getting in touch with people? It's like, if you're going to get in touch with people right before, it's going to come out, come across very transactional, right? Yep. Like, oh, I saw an opening or a headhunter reached out, wanted to learn a little bit more slash like, can you pass on my resume? And it's like, listen, like how many pings do you think this individual is getting like that each and every single day, week, month? Um, there's an element of like, hey, listen, like I'm looking to learn more. Simply put, I think the best time to actually look for a job arguably is when you're like pretty darn like happy in your current gig. Yep. Because if you're not, well, when you start, there's a the honeymoon phase. So you're probably going to be pretty happy in the middle, good and great. If you're leaving, then like people can read that, right? It's kind of like commission breath. Like oh, you yeah. have where it's like, okay, this person's probably not that happy looking to leave. And like, I know why they're reaching out. 
Yeah, no doubt. Uh, and, and by the way, I think it ties to the other point that we're talking about, right? When, when you're figuring out what you actually want to do, if you're happy in your current role, but you still don't really know what, like, what you want to do with your life, what better way to just kind of pick people's brains with no agenda and, you know, actually show your true genuine self than to just pick up the phone or write an email or something and, and go get a coffee with someone, right? It doesn't mean that you're, you know, using them or asking them for anything. It's just actually probably the best way to do it, right? Like you should be developing kind of those real friendships, relationships, whatever uh, acquaintances with, with folks. So um, super beneficial. Yeah. And like, the reality is, is that like, I don't think um, people tend to think a little bit, there are two angles to it, right? It's kind of like the two, 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 where it's like maybe like the banking buy side business school, or the other element is like staying in a role like for longer. Now, I think it works on both ends. If you know about the banking buy side business school growth, I got into like deferred GSB, deferred HBS. I want to do my two years at an APAX or an advent, go back as a VP. And maybe I started at Evercore Molis. Phenomenal. Like you have it planned out. The reality is like, I think there's an element of like really giving the job a shot, which a lot of people don't think about. But even in our situation, right? Like office hours going well, staying busy, but like there are elements where it's just like, hey, listen, like how do we take this to another level, right? Like, can we take it to another level? Can we loop in other individuals for their help? So the way to do that is frankly, just having more conversations. Like if a cool thing pops up tomorrow, frankly, like, so I know uh, Rupak mainly through his brother, of course, and others involved on the crypto side of the house. They'd be the first people to be like, hey, listen, like if a new opportunity arises, if something interesting arises, like where we'll do our diligence, but we'll probably jump at it, right? Yeah. Rather than just being like, hey, listen, like I'm in banking, I'm making good cash today. Isn't that the whole concept of like, frankly, like jobs? Like they give you a salary to keep you there. But the reality totally. is yeah. you don't necessarily kind of like pop up here and there looking for other opportunities. It's going to be very difficult to like really recognize what's out there. Absolutely. Um, and, and like, you know, I've talked about this, right, even in the context of my, my own personal kind of journey. So for me, like, I and I, I kind of laugh about this when I talk to people about it, because it, it comes off as very blunt when I think about it. Uh, but the first kind of one on one I had at my MD when I was just joining and, and all that stuff, uh, just to kind of, you know, get closer with him was to talk about my career. And yeah, I very bluntly said, exactly kind of the former of what you were referring to right like i want to be here for like a year or two max and i want to go to business school like that's just what i want to do um and he was like okay like i think his exact words were like i appreciate the honesty um and and yeah i think the culture on our group is is very supportive and constructive and positive so probably got a little lucky there um because i could imagine saying that to the wrong person and them being like all right well like yeah i guess there's an expiration date on this guy um which happens um but i think like Seeing, you know, zooming out a little bit, even when we're kind of in our younger phases of our career and seeing the opportunity in your current role, you need to weigh that against kind of a potential move, right? So for me, as I, I noted before, you know, I, I got in on the ground floor of something that was growing super, super quick, right? With so much client demand and, and all that stuff, a lot of firm attention. So I felt it was the opportunity cost of, of dropping this for two years, going back to school and then like going to like whatever, Black Center or some PE shop. Um, was too high, right? Not only financially, um, but kind of in terms of career progression opportunity, things like that. So I stuck it out for a little longer. Um, and I guess now I'm, you know, three and a half ish years in. Um, and, you know, went through the whole promotion thing, the A to A stuff. And obviously there's stuff we can dig into in terms of the differences in those roles. Um, but long story short, I saw my own calculus kind of pointing to, you know, hang around here, help build this thing out a little bit more see what opportunities you can get and then assess it from there, right? Like, let's see how much we can get out of this role um, and how much we can contribute, right? Because it's definitely a two-way street. So, um, yeah, but yeah, that everyone's doing that math, right? Um, yeah. There you go. So. Totally, totally. What advice would you give to someone uh, looking to join Evercore? And then we can get into more details around your role too, because I know it's, uh, you mentioned it's a newer group, but we'd love to learn more on that front too. Sure, yeah. So my, my advice, I think, is uh, a lot of what I said before, right? So, Make sure you study the culture of, of the firm, right? Um, again, you know, there's 2,000 folks globally. 2,000 people sounds like a lot. It really isn't, right? Like you get to know everyone from other analysts up to senior management uh, by name um, after a couple of years. So I think uh, make sure you like understand the culture of the firm, what, they, what they're actually focused on, what they actually want to be. Uh, so for us, like I, it, this isn't like a secret sauce or anything. It's, it's what we publicly say, right? We want to be the most respected global investment bank on earth, right? Like that 
you know, branches out into a whole bunch of different specific things that the firm wants to do and focus on, but um, that's what they say as we uh, want, right? So I would, I would study that. I would see how you can add value um, in the context of that, uh, whether it's from prior transactions, let's say you're lateral um, and you've worked on some cool deals and in areas that, you know, Evercore might be kind of a leader in um, as an advisor and articulating that articulating the ability to work in very small, intimate teams uh, for a lot of hours. Uh, so I guess in other words, proving that you, you know, you're not uh, kind of like a, a toxic piece of the culture um, in the interviews, because uh, they will suss that out. Um, and then just kind of, you know, obviously, uh, especially if you're joining a coverage group, uh, make sure you master those technicals. Because um, I know, you know, even just talking to other analysts, associates, VPs on, on other teams, I think, that's obviously super important um, to just be competent um, in terms of, of the actual role. So yeah, that, that's what I would say. I think it's it's definitely an intense process. Um, I think it's, I would say it's probably even more intense for, for college kids because you they're, they're really going to grill you on, on making sure you're competent. So um, I don't know how many of those folks are on the line, but you know, I would say you know, those three or four different things I just mentioned are, are key. So. Yeah, no, for sure. What we find is generally... Um... There's an element of like breaking in, right? So I like to compare it back to like, in a way, college, right? Like you didn't necessarily just go for the first school that accepted you, right? Or maybe you did some like common app just like as a joke, just to see like, hey, listen, I just want to like throw it out there because it's early, really just see like um, maybe my safety schools, right? Just to get an understanding and then you'll have like your targets and your reaches. We generally look at recruiting like that to tell you the truth. Yeah. The concept is like, you should have a safety target and reach element for anything you do, right? Basically, you're like tier one, tier two, tier three. And yeah. concept is like, why not, right? Because it's like, if you bring it back to banking and advisory, you're literally running a process for some random company. And technically, you're saying when you're going to go about shopping your own self as an asset, you're not going to run a process and figure out like who can give you like the best offer. Like, why would yeah. you just want to go for like one at that point? Big time. Um, yeah. Pretty big. Yeah, on that front. But yeah. I think that's a super smart way of looking at it, by the way. I think the stuff you guys are doing, right, where, where you're actually focusing on, is a huge pain point that I really, and this is not, you know, I'm not just like selling this because uh, yeah, I'll bend I know you, but, but, <laughs> I, I, but I, yeah, I truly mean it, right? Like, I think if I were in school or, you know, if I was like right out of school in my first job, there was nothing like that a few years ago, right? Like it was just like kind of hacking your way through it and you know, all that stuff. So I, I think, I think what you guys are doing is super important in the sense of connecting. Um, yeah. Kind of that it, it's a market, right? It's really just a market of people that want something and people that have it and you know, you're kind of connecting. And I think that's super, super helpful. So. I think honestly, the best part is like um, if you connect with an individual from a Francisco or XYZ shop, and that's one aspect, what's really enticing and exciting when we walk through um, I think it's like, Clarner Hall and a few others at HBS. Um, long story short, when you walk through some of these, yeah, well, basically like buildings at Harvard Business School, and you have friends from like XHIG, XAdvent, XTA, and they're now in business school and connecting with a variety of other individuals, maybe like 900 or 1,000 people total, right? Um, however, they're having the conversation around like, Hey, listen, I was in finance. Now I'm at business school. I understand I'm good, but everyone here is good in a different way. And I'm figuring out what I want to do. That's like genius because it's like, wow, like you were literally at advent, right? Or you were at Blackstone and now yeah. you're at HBS. Maybe you're going back, but at the same time, maybe you're not going back. So what is the effectively like on your end, how do you think about it when it comes to the potential, the opportunity, what you liked about it, what you didn't like about it. And that itself ends up being like super, super valuable and super literally just honest feedback, right? If yeah. you connect with an individual from a firm, there's a high likelihood they're going to try to sell you on the firm if you're thinking about applying, right? They want applications to the roof. They want more people to think about them in a higher light and they want to be more selective. So at the end of the day, they're going to try to pump up their numbers. If you connect with someone that's third party that was at Carlisle, that was at an Apollo, and now is at business school and maybe they're experimenting. Maybe they're like, yeah, I'm trying to do like biz ops somewhere. I'm trying to do like more like VC or growth or public equity at like an Elliott and bringing it back to private equity. That itself ends up being like really, really interesting because more than anything, well, it's just perspective, right? Unbiased perspective. Big time. Big time. Um, yeah, no, I think that's, 
that's like the the best case scenario and the, the most value add, right? If you can if you can have those perspectives and all those experiences, that's like what people hire you for, right? So uh, yeah, super important. Hundred percent. Um, and sorry, Klarman uh, Hall, not uh, not whatever I said. I've been yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Yes, but um, yeah, no, but awesome. So let's think about this. Now we spoke about the Evercore time, the UBS time, um, ESG. We'd love to learn more. How you think about it? Are you interacting with TPG Rise, Apollo Climate, Bain Double Impact, those types of funds? How do you think about it when it comes to, of course, if someone's like, hey, listen, like it's a like marketing tactic, something of the sort, because obviously I'm sure you're seeing it quite a bit daily um, where individuals are like, hey, listen, like in a bull market, people are willing to focus on it and people are willing to like, of course, I like, incorporate that into returns versus now like more bearish market, obviously a little different, but we'd love to get your perspective. Absolutely. Um, and you're asking at an interesting time. I think there's a lot of rhetoric and headlines and it's become so political, um, both on the, the pro ESG and, and the anti ESG side of things. Um, so there's a lot of different ways I think about it. Uh, but when it all, you know, at the end of the day, right, ESG is not, you know, something that is going to be the primary driver for the large majority of investors, at least today, right, or, or companies, right? They're, it's not the top thing they're thinking about. What are companies thinking about? They're thinking about their margins, their like long-term strategy, their value creation stuff. Uh, but in the financial sense, right? It's still the primary driver of how how companies are being assessed and how they're assessing themselves and how they're you know planning, right? So ESG though is now this emerging kind of new variable that is nebulous and people are kind of like making up their own definitions and it's so undefined. Um, but at the end of the day, it's just a risk management variable, right? It's a lens that companies, investors, uh, other stakeholders uh, need to look at as kind of sort of a risk management um, pillar in their strategy, right? So at Evercore, if I connect it really quick to, to what I'm doing here, the reason for this group um, even existing is a lot of our clients, you know, call it four or five, six years ago, started asking um, about ESG in the context of activism, shareholder activism, right? So you got folks like the Elliott's of the world, um, Carl Icahn, et cetera, you know, pushing these companies using ESG as sort of like a wedge issue um, to cause change, right? So they'll say something along the lines of, and, and you've seen a bunch of these, I'm sure, right? Like a bunch of these public letters to random energy companies or any, any company in any sector where it's like, hey, we have issues with your, you know, governance practices, the way that your board's structured, um, the fact that like you're a utility company and you have no like ambitions in terms of like your climate targets and climate strategy. Um, and then at the end, they'll tuck in this little piece of, oh, and to like solve all these things or all these things are causing your under, you know, your underperformance and the way to create value is to spin this off and do this repo and, you know, fire the CEO, this like all these like typical activism tactics, but yeah, using yeah. that ESG as a hook. Uh, oh. Because it resonates, right? It resonates with a lot of the index funds. It resonates with a lot of the big uh, other shareholders of a company. So all of those themes and concepts were ever growing and ever expanding. So the firm really just saw an opportunity to create a group that from a very high level um, advises public companies, not only on ESG in the context of MA, which we can talk about, but mm -hmm. just navigating this concept of ESG that is expanding and evolving and kind of changing and shifting every day, week, you know, year. Um, you know, when I started uh, in 2019, ESG was kind of this, you know, new sexy term of, you know, kind of company branding and PR. And then COVID hit in the first five weeks of COVID, I think I picked up, you know, a pen, if you will, like one time because everything was dead. Everyone was just kind of worried about like keeping their business afloat. But yeah. then, you know, everything that happened with George Floyd and, and all those other um, awful things from, from 2020, I think really accelerated the push of, of investors caring about this topic, not only from a social impact perspective, not only from an environmental perspective, but how does this concept of ESG, how are you guys considering this in the context of your value creation story, right? So from a high level, you know, I'll stop there and I'll pause there for if you have any you know, follow-ups there, but, you know, we, we kind of help corporations and, and boards and management teams uh, navigate this space, whether it's activism, whether it's M&A, whether it's just like, you know, messaging and IR, uh, whether it's more, you know, insanely nebulous things like a, a newly public company just saying like, what should we care about? That's that's like such an open-ended question, uh, but we get it a lot. Um, and that's and just kind of educating them on the space, advising them on, on what to do, what not to do, um, things of that nature. So that's awesome. And leading practice, I'm sure um, on your end, as in like, 
is it a good amount of inbound? Like companies just know, or it's like, of course, like both inbound and outbound. Yeah. yeah. So we, we sit, uh, this is actually a good, good question. Cause I forgot to keep, uh, include this detail. So we sit, um, in Evercore's activism and raid defense practice. So that group is a group of about 35 folks. Um, it's led by uh, a guy named Bill Anderson. He created the whole concept of activism uh, defense advisory uh, in like the nineties at Goldman. So he's one of those guys who was just like, he just grinds, like he's such a smart get, you know, individual, all of that other stuff. But more importantly, um, you know, he is kind of the, the leading advisor on this topic, right? He invented the whole thing. So when I say leading, um, we fall under his kind of purview, but uh, you know, he, he's kind of what we, you know, a lot of people, it, I just heard on a client call someone called him like the godfather of activism, which I don't even know what that means, but uh, it's, it's interesting. Um, and I think, you know, we get a lot of, we get a lot of hits, right? Cause a lot of companies want to hear what he has to think, what we have to think. Um, my MD used to run kind of the voting engagement stewardship uh, side of the house at BlackRock. So he has like a very non-traditional background and he's a thought leader in his own right um, on these ESG and governance topics. So uh, just a lot of folks, with a lot of deep experience. Um, which I think garners a lot of client interest on, on the topic. So. Phenomenal. Phenomenal. That's awesome. And looking into analysts, hiring analysts as a whole, and on like the junior side, do you recommend they start somewhere else and then come to you? Like, So for our group in particular, um, I think it, it's super. So by the way, like the, what we actually do day to day, I always try to describe it as like a mix of like a third, a third, a third, right? So like a third, is really like very IR-ish focused, right? Like the whole messaging thing I told you about, which for me was a, a super eye-opener because I didn't realize how much time and effort went into like making sure your message resonated with the market. Uh, so I think whether you're a public company or a private company or an investment bank or, or you know private equity shop, I think you need to kind of nail that. And those are very uh, valuable skills to, to develop. Um, a third of it is this whole M&A stuff, right? We get thrown into different M&A processes, whether it's a contested situation, uh, companies just thinking about things um, that are, you know, in in sectors that might be more kind of susceptible to climate change related criticism, right? Think EVs, autos, energy, utilities. Um, and then the, the last third is that open-ended part that I described to you, right? So the whole consulting aspect of this of like, hey, like we have a question on this XYZ topic related to ESG, like what are your thoughts? Um, and it's super open-ended. There's no like precedence to work off of. And, and you know, every banker loves a good precedent. Uh, we don't really have a lot of those. Uh, yeah. So it's a lot of deep uh, kind of honestly, just like thinking about like, okay, this is the company, this is the industry they operate in, like where are things going and like, what can we advise them on in the context that whatever question they have. Yeah. Um, but I think a lot of good experience comes from joining laterally. Um, so, yeah. you know, to answer your, your point here, right. So I think, you know, you could join a group like this out of school, but I think you'll probably get more value and you will show more value um, coming from perhaps another another place or another focus area where you've developed some some important skills. So um, we don't really deal with like PPG rise or, or those folks with our private capital business. So well, it's more on the company side. Yeah, it's more on the company side. But I will say I've raised a lot of money for, for TPG rise in particular on, in my prior role uh, many years ago when I was at UBS. So that I, I do, I'm familiar with that. I'm happy to talk uh, about that side of the the whole ESG space, but, um, you know, we're, we're definitely more on the corporate side. So. Nice. No, that makes sense. Nice. And I guess like general market consensus overall, and kind of, as you think about this, like, how do you think it's going to change in the next like five to 10 years? Like I assume more and more investment banks will be building out practices like this. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think it could go in two different ways, right? Like I think it, we could do, we, as in, I guess the industry, um, can build out dedicated teams on this, on this stuff. And I, I, I think that's our, you're already seeing that kind of happen, especially, more on the, the European side of things. So European companies, advisors, investors tend to be a little bit more uh, progressive um, in, in many different ways, but on the CSG stuff um, as well. So, you know, you're seeing folks like Barclays, you're seeing folks like UBS um, kind of start these practices and, you know, some of the American banks like Evercore um, also doing so. Uh, so I think you're going to see that grow. Um, you're also going to probably... To be honest, like my ideal scenario in the next five, 10 years is that the word ES or the phrase ESG dies away because it becomes a primary way to assess a company, right? So tying it back to what I was saying before, we're right now we're looking you know, quarterly financials and what's the CEO saying on buybacks and things like that. My hope is that in the next 10 years, they're not only talking about that, but there's this extra kind of expectation 
from investors to corporates, uh, where you're also talking about, you know, what are you doing to progress your sustainability efforts? Like, how are we, how are we going to, like, if we're actually going to hold these people accountable on these different random targets that people are setting, we need to do so in the same way that we're holding them accountable on, on you know, your dividend was this, and now it's this. Why did that happen, right? Like, the amount yeah. of scrutiny that goes into that for a company, um, I think we need to match that. Uh, so without using or diving into the whole, like, you know, so-called stakeholder capitalism, I think that's kind of where the world is going. Well, we would surely um, not without pushback, uh, which we're kind of seeing this year. So, yeah, I think, you know, in the next five, 10 years, my hope is that it, it's the latter of what I said, where we're looking at both of these things um, in parallel. But uh, my thought is from the banking side of things that um, I think we're going to see some dedicated teams being built up, no doubt about it. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, nice. I'm going to actually just uh, retype this question over here. But uh... Uh, so it's basically around like uh, work-life balance, like um, that I've gotten privately over here, but basically getting an understanding of like work-life balance. And then of course, uh, what we find is that generally, like, of course, like, I'm not going to say like analysts are the new interns, associates are the new analysts and VPs are the new associates, but like definitely hear quite a bit that like, um, yeah, I mean, like my more like senior friends in banking will be like, it's definitely, well, COVID's changed it up quite a bit, right? That work from home and then bringing it back. And then of course, like, like crop top wearing intern classes and stuff. Like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, yep. um, but we'll have to learn a little bit more. I mean, like on your end, how do you kind of like balance everything out? Like find a way to still stay healthy, find a way to still stay active being an ex-student athlete overall? Yeah. So it's it's obviously not an easy, easy thing to do. Um, I think you'd be kidding yourself and, and you know this, right? Through you know, owning a company. Um it's hard, right? But I think uh, you got, there's a couple of things, right? So first of all, right, tactically, I think we got to get more comfortable as a, as a junior kind of generation of workers, just mm -hmm. being a little bit more transparent and open in our communication. Um, so I've learned that this is a super intense industry. As I said earlier, right, when we started this, your schedule is not necessarily your, if you get something from your MD or VP or really anyone, uh, the expectation is that you jump on it and you just do it right like that's that's the way to to develop a reputation and that's the way to kind of get promoted to be completely honest um but i think as an analyst uh it's even more so important right so you, as an analyst you're executing left and right all, all you're responsible for is accurately and efficiently uh executing as an associate you not only have those expectations but i like to always say like there's that level of like judgment and autonomy that people just kind of expect um from you as well so you're, you're managing up and down the chain. You're probably, it's probably your first time, uh, you know, actually managing folks like your analysts. So open communication, transparency in that sense is super important, right? And, and like, don't be afraid to like show your passions, right? So on my team, everyone knows I, I run. Everyone knows like I try, I try to, I'm not good about it every day. Let's not kid ourselves, but I try to get it done in the morning because uh, my job doesn't start at like 7 a.m. Banking is more yeah. of like a, an evening rather than a morning thing, but when I don't and I want to run in the evenings, right? I, I, I'm pretty transparent about like, look, I'm going to be away for 30 minutes or 40 minutes, like wrapping this up, but I'll be back in a sec. Or like, I'll be back ASAP. Um, and I think people appreciate that because the worst thing in this job that I think creates all the tension is the unknown, right? So I would say, exactly. It's just, it's communication. So it's definitely, uh, yeah. No, I mean, there, there have been moments where it's just like, um, not even like confrontation, like, and confrontation sometimes have this like bad, like, uh thought process to it and kind of like affiliation but like people should be more okay with just like having an open and upfront conversation and sometimes they don't and it really doesn't make as much sense to a senior who's just like hey listen like i'm not gonna like eat you i'm not gonna bite yeah. you like, get you in trouble just like let me know right like we're all human right so we need to we need to normalize that i kind of did a, a decent job at at making people uncomfortable with um like a lack of face time and things like that so I think that's kind of helped move the needle, but, um, you know, my advice is just be very transparent and develop a reputation of, of trust, right. That people can trust that you can get stuff done. I remember there was one time I, uh, effectively, I was just like, Oh, talking to my, speaking to my general partner and team, I was like, Oh, like, I didn't want to like keep you on the email because you know, like, I didn't want to like clog your inbox. She goes, well, I love email. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. There you go. Taking off the email. And then at that yeah. point it was just like, shit, like over communicate if anything, yeah. um, was the things you hopefully as an intern, um and hopefully at this point there are enough resources out there where you can just like frankly kind of grasp it um like if you're not going to go to practice or show up late like 
my God, let someone know, right? Like that's just kind of like 101 there. Um, but Absolutely. I guess on a couple of these other questions and from what I re remember and understand, um, like private capital advisory, shareholder, shareholder advisory, it's same bonuses, right? Like TPG Rise gets paid just like TPG Mega Fund, um, similar capacity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like in terms of comp stuff, it, it it's just like any other place, right? I think there's just buckets um, that are firm wide. Um, I'm sure there's some, I'm not involved in these convos, but I'm sure there's some element of like group level performance, right? So um, that might factor into it. Uh, but I think generally for analysts, associates, probably even VPs, um, at least at, at the firm, um, you know, it's the classic bucketing uh, system. So. Yep. Yep. How do you get used to, uh, and it's funny because we're asking about like sleep versus exercise and you just be like wrapping up questions here because obviously, yeah, I know you want to get back to it. Nice. Proactiveness and, you know, responding. Um, but overall like sleep versus exercise. And I feel like when I don't sleep, it's tougher to exercise because obviously muscle regeneration and like you're pretty groggy, but, um, yeah. I, I am pretty comfortable with listening to my body at this point, probably due to all those injuries I talked to you about. Um, mm -hmm. So I very much listen to my body every morning. Um, and if I'm genuinely tired or just drained from maybe at work the night before or, or something like that, I will just not hold myself to the expectation of like, you have to get it done in the morning, right? There, there's a level of flexibility where it's like, okay, well, maybe at like seven, I could just like sneak out for 40 minutes. I'll figure something out later. Um, holding yourself accountable to actually do the exercise every day or, you know, whatever's important to you. Uh but giving yourself flex on like, okay, it's not the end of the world if you don't do it in the morning, right? So I think just listening to your body is like super important. I think the stretching, honestly, um, whether or not I'm like lifting, lifting, um, I think stretching and a little bit of like yoga slash like foam roller helps out quite a bit. I remember uh, I got LASIK done recently and I wasn't allowed to do like anything. And before I knew, like I, I like literally like my body was hurting everywhere. So it makes yep. no sense to me how someone can't even like really like stretch because I would just get so tight. Absolutely. And you're sitting around all day working and stuff. Like it, it, it does not, it does not help. So yeah. 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 Um, but dude, thank you so much. Um, much, much, much appreciated. This is phenomenal. Um, really yeah, good. Thanks for having me. We'll turn it into a podcast form, little, um, of course, snippets as well, but I think it's frankly like good from the element of like, also like recruiting, right? Like yeah. record as a whole, the group as a whole, anyone that wants to learn a little bit more, feel free to pass it on and then be like, all right, like, these are like questions like 101. If you have something deeper, come back and ask me because- um, Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, happy to happy to talk with with anyone that wants to learn more about the firm and and hopefully uh, hopefully it's helpful. Yeah. Love it. Love it. I definitely owe you a, a beer and a half when I'm back in the <laughs> Yeah, let me know when you're around. Uh, thanks for having me. Appreciate it, man. Of course, of course. We'll sync up with Ancha as well, but thank you, man. Of course. Enjoy the weekend. Awesome, man. You too. Take care, guys. Bye. Bye.